seated. I want to thank all of you that came to support those that got baptized. That, that means so much. Let's continue to, to pray for them. And if you have a chance to greet them after the gathering, I encourage you to, to do that. Thank you. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to James. We're going to be wrapping up this study in the book of James that we've been in for a number of weeks. Um, I want to uh, also encourage you to pray for uh, our students, high school students. We had a big group of students that left this morning for YWAM Louisville, and they're going to be serving there this week. Three of our kids are on that group, which means we don't have any kids at home this week. Hello, we're going to have some fun. Somebody say amen. Um, but do pray for them. Thank you for your prayers for me. I was in Bolivia this last week. I flew out on Monday morning, uh, Monday around lunchtime, got back late last night. Uh, was in Bolivia visiting one of our missionaries, uh, couples, Alan and Merrill Andrews, serving in Bolivia. Thank you for your prayers. And um, so let's, let's dig into the text. So our text for today is James 5, 13 to 20. And James really, he really wraps up this this whole letter with a call to prayer. And I love, uh, I love when children pray. I came across some, some prayers that kids prayed that I might set up, I thought it might be nice to sort of set up this message on a call to prayer. Look at this first one. Dear God, I bet it's hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. Man, I love it. Or how about this one? Dear God, I, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Sam. And uh, this one, uh, I, dear God, I, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Question mark. Neil. And this is my favorite one. Um, dear God, are boys better than girls? I know you are one, but try to be fair. Sylvia. Here's the big idea for today. A strong prayer life is proof that my faith in Christ is real, that it is active, and more than a religious duty. Now remember, James, in this series, this whole letter that James wrote to followers of Jesus, this is what he's contending for. This is what he's arguing for. This is what James cares about, is that our faith, if we say we have faith in God, that it will manifest itself. It will, be, it will be shown by our actions, faith in action. And so he says, this, this last part of this letter is that our prayer life is an evidence that we, our faith is real, that it is active, that we're engaged, and that it's more than a religious duty. So in our text, I want to give this, I want to give you, James gives us five types of prayer. We, we, we are all called to pray. He gives us in this, this closing message, the last part of his letter, he gives us five types of prayers. And I want to walk us through each one of this, each one of these as we unpack this text. Let's start reading in verse 13. This first type of prayer is what we call personal prayer. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And so this first, this first type of prayer is, it is personal prayer. 
It's a call to personal prayer. It's a divine command. It's like James is calling every Christ follower to prayer, to pray, and specifically to personal prayer. He begins this verse with two rhetorical questions that really establish the text's main point right out of the gate. Prayer is putting our faith in action. He says, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. It's interesting that James assumes that all of us uh, in our lives are going to run into some trouble. That's what he assumes. That's the assumption. Sometimes people have a misconception. They think that once you become a follower of Jesus, you put your faith, <clears throat> excuse me, you put your faith in Christ, then it's a walk in the park. You'll never have any trouble or problems or stress or hardships again. But of course, we know that isn't true. That as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are not exempt from suffering or hardships or trials. Matter of fact, in James chapter 1, James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Here he says, if, if anyone is in trouble, let them pray. He says, pray. But he also says, if anyone is happy, let them sing praise. Singing praises is a form of prayer. It's a form of worship. It's like he's highlighting the, the journey of life. The highs and the lows, the mountaintops and the, the valleys. It's like you're going to go through times when life is hard, when there are setbacks, when there is brokenness, when there's disappointments. All of us have likely been in those situations. But he says, but there are also times where things are going well, when you're happy, when you feel like your life is lining up and like you're, you're, uh, you're, things are going up and to the right, like you've experienced God's blessing. He says, listen, when you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, pray. Pray. Pray when things are going well. Pray when, when things are not going well. This is the language for followers of Jesus that we have, we cultivate this, this prayer language, this, this idea of praying to our Heavenly Father, prayerful dependence, recognizing that we are dependent on God. Here's the question. What is your default when times are going well, you're doing well, or when you're facing hardships? What is, what is your default? That's the question. How do you cope when things get off the track? You know, where, who do we turn to? Or where do we turn when life gets hard? Or, or, or when life is going well, you know, do we forget God? Do we forget then to pray? Like Israel did this. They were doing well, and then they'd wander away, and then God would let bad things happen so that they would come back to him. What is, what is your default? Is your first impulse to pray or is it a last resort? I love this story in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas were, were arrested for preaching the gospel. And this illustrates this idea of personal prayer, this, this first type of prayer. They're, they, they're arrested. They're, they're put in prison for preaching the gospel. And the, the, the Bible says that they were, they were stripped of their clothing. They were beaten with rods. Their hands were in chains. And their feet were in stocks. They were in solitary confinement, locked down. And it's, it's not good. And at about midnight, they began to sing and pray. They were practicing this first type of prayer, this personal prayer. They were crying out to God. They were singing. They were praying. And, and amazing, God, God sent an earthquake. Their chains fell off, and they were able to, to be freed. 
This, it's an incredible story of how God intervened. He heard the cries, the, the cries for help. Where, where do you turn when, when you're in trouble? Sometimes it's easy to sort of turn to God as a last resort, but James would say, no, turn to God, look to God as, a, as your first impulse, your first thought, your first thing you do is, is pray. When things are going well, when things are not going well, is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. Are you happy? Pray. That's, that's the call. That's the first type of prayer. It's personal prayer. And then the second one, the second type of prayer that he gives us is intercessory prayer. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And there's so much in these verses. So the focus moves from personal prayer to intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is simply this idea where you are interceding on someone else's behalf. You're praying specifically for someone else's life, for someone else in your life. Intercessory prayer is when you pray on someone else's behalf. You intercede for them. And he says, if, if anyone is sick, let them call the elders of the church to, to pray for healing. This is something that we practice. This is something that we take uh, literally. That if you are sick or you are struggling... That we want to, as pastors and elders, we, we want to anoint you with oil f- to pray for you, to pray for your healing. I encourage you to avail yourself to that. And we want to practice that. In verse 16, it says, the prayer offered in faith. This is a reminder that <clears throat> prayer and faith must go together. Now, the Bible does not guarantee that every sick person will be healed, um, but this passage, James is challenging us to believe that God, believe that God to heal the sick when we pray. Let me say that again because there's a, there's a lot of confusion about this. There are some that believe that God wants every person to be healed. And while James would say, we're not guaranteed that God will heal, he will answer every prayer of healing, that when we pray, we should, be, we should believe that God has the power to heal every single time. But there are times that God chooses not to in his sovereign will and plan. And, but we, we continue to pray and ask God for healing. And also notice that it's the Lord that heals. James says, we pray in the name of the Lord, and the Lord will raise him up. Healing happens by the sovereign power and authority of God. We pray with confidence that God can heal if he chooses to, if it's in his sovereign will, whatever gives him maximum glory Acts chapter 12, to tease out this idea of intercessory prayer, Peter was arrested by King Herod, and he was put in prison. And as soon as the followers of Jesus that were there in that area heard that Peter was in prison, the Bible says they they gathered together to pray, to intercede. They were practicing this, this type of praying. They were gathered, so Peter was in prison over here, nearby the church, a church, followers of Jesus were gathered in a house, in a home, on their knees, praying for Peter's protection and his release. It's an incredible story. Peter was locked down. He was, you know, chained to two guards, and the story, as the story is told in Acts, he was asleep. 
he was, that's interesting to me. You know, I don't know how Peter could sleep under these conditions. And God heard the prayers of intercession from the church nearby going to heaven, and he sends an angel. He answered their prayer. He sends an angel to the prison where Peter is. And uh, it says the angel had just shook him, said, Peter, wake up, wake up. Peter's like, you know, groggy, and and he, he leads him out of the prison. The Lord heard their prayers, sent an angel to rescue Peter from this situation. God hears the prayers of intercession. The only thing that was between Peter and his execution the next day was the prayers of the church that were happening. The power of prayer, the power of intercession. It's incredible. I'm sure that many of you intercede for people in your lives, maybe that are struggling or aren't believers or whatever, whatever it is. We're called to practice this type of prayer where we, we intercede for others. We do it as leaders of the church, but we also intercede for each other. This week was an incredible week. I, like I said, I was in Bolivia, and when I got the news that Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was, it was honestly, I couldn't, couldn't stop crying. Almost 50 years, 63 million babies that have been aborted. You know, for years, we have interceded for the unborn. And to see this, for me, it's never been political. It's always been a moral issue. You know, this is one of the greatest injustices in our lifetime. This is a modern-day holocaust. And to see this reversed, and it will come to the state level. I'm sure there will be other layers of whatever, but... Is so incredible. We, we intercede. God hears the prayers of intercession. This is another type of prayer that we practice. But then he, the third one, he gives another one um, in verses, uh, verse 16. This is corporate prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the call to pray expands as the text progresses. Personal prayer, call to intercessory prayer, and now it's the entire congregation. It's corporate prayer. It's corporate prayer in this sense. It's corporate prayer in that sometimes we pray like corporately in our gatherings, but it's it's not so much that, but it's like we pray with each other. As a matter of fact, if you look at the verse, he gives us he gives us two one another commands. He says, confess your sins. Here it is to each other, but then he also says, uh, pray, pray for each other, and pray for each other. Those are the two, one another commands that, that James gives us. Confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other. And so, in a corporate sense, we, we do this with each other. Like, who are you confessing your sins to, and who are you praying for? That's, that's, the, that's what the call is to this, this sense of corporate prayer. We, we believe that, in a, that we're the, a priesthood of all believers. We no longer have to go through a priest for God to hear our prayers. Now all of us have direct access to heaven. God hears our prayers. And so we, we confess our sins to each other and we, we pray for each other. That's the power of the church. That's the power of relationships. I mean, yes, we confess our sins to God, and God hears us. God promises to forgive us, 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us if we, if we, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
if we confess our sins. But there's this, there's this other element. There's another layer of community that is in this verse. He says, confess your sins to each other. This is so powerful. This, this is where I think the, the wholeness and some more healing can happen. When, when we can be real with each other about the sins and the brokenness and the struggles that we have. I found, though, for people to do that, they have to feel safe. They have to feel safe enough to be real, to be real about what's wrong, what's broken in my life. Oh, man, this is one of our prayers for our church, that we would create spaces where people can, can you know, let down their guard, where it's, people can be fully known, where they can be accepted and loved and nourished. Because and, I think in, in recovery, there's this saying, like there's healing in the revealing. There, there's healing in the just being vulnerable and just, just being known and letting somebody into your life. It's so powerful. James says, oh, confess your sins to each other and, and pray for each other. Like we're, we're, a, we're on the same team. We're, we're part of the body of Christ. We're a family, the church. We, we need each other to have these kinds of spaces where people can be real. Craig Rochelle, Pastor Craig Rochelle, wrote a book called Soul Detox. He tells a story about Marla. Marla was a, a brand new believer. She put her faith in Jesus. She wasn't sure about this whole Christianity thing. And she went to, her, she was put into a small group. And her very first experience in her small group, she was very tentative. She got there and they were talking. And somebody in the group, a guy in the group, shared how that he was struggling with pornography that this was an addiction that he's had for years. He's prayed. He's asked God to forgive him, to help him get released from this bondage. I mean, he was just so open and vulnerable about his sin. He was confessing it and inviting them to pray for him. And she was like, oh, man, here we go. What are they going to do, these Christians? Are they going to turn on him? And, and to her chagrin, when he was done sharing what he was going through in this struggle with pornography, she said everybody in that group embraced him. They loved him. They, they cared about him. And it, it, she, it, it, she, Marla said how, how much that impacted her. Somebody else in the group spoke up and said, I used to struggle with pornography, and this is how I overcame that addiction with Jesus' help. And somebody else chimed in and said, you know, there was a time in my life where I was turning to that. And she said it was so life-giving. And it, it, it happened because somebody was being honest. They were, there was honest confession and honest admission it gave Marla the courage to, to open up in other conversations with her group about her own struggle, about her own brokenness. I think there's, there's healing. God forgives, but on a human level, there's, there's healing in the revealing. There's, this, there's so much power in this. If you were here today, this will be one of the hardest things you ever do. But if you're here today and you are carrying a deep, dark secret that you've never shared with anybody, I encourage you to, to find someone in a church, someone that you can trust, someone that will keep it confidential, that you can offload, that you can share that. You can invite someone in to, I mean, for accountability, but for support and prayer and just to be fully known. No, no, no secrets. Confess your sins to each other and pray. Pray for each other. You know, I've noticed in the church world that these days our world is divided and our churches, churches are even divided and that, that we are called to, 
to pray for each other, to stand together to support each other. This is another type of prayer called corporate prayer. And then number four is earnest prayer. Look at verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And this is a story, a reference to 1 Kings 17, where Elijah told the king Ahab that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. And there was a drought in the land. And then he prayed for rain in 1 Kings 18. And it did rain after three and a half years. God sent rain. God honored Elijah's um, request, his prayer. Elijah had power in public because he prayed in private. So amazing. And James is pointing to Elijah as an example of someone who earnestly prayed. He earnestly prayed. Some translations uh, use the word, instead of earnestly, they use the word fervently. Uh, Elijah was a man who earnestly, fervently prayed. It's not an earnestly, it's not a word that we use that much these days, but it's the idea where we pray with, uh, we, we, we say prayers that are heartfelt and sincere and uh, with power and passion and and like desperation, God, we, we, want, we, we pray with all of our hearts. It's what William Booth, the foundation, the um, founder of the Salvation Army, he, he called it praying with all your might. I like that. We pray with earnestly. We pray with passion, with fire. Like, God, I'm not going to stop praying until you come through, until you hear me and answer this prayer. Praying with all of your might. James's point is that although... Although Elijah's prayers were mighty, his exploits were legendary, he was also a man with frailties and flaws. Right after he defeated King Ahab, he destroyed you know, 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, that incredible encounter. He, he crawled under a juniper tree and asked God to let him die. James's message is clear. If, if God can answer the earnest, faith-filled, fervent prayers of Elijah, a common man like us, he can hear and answer your prayers and mine. You notice that here, the first part of this verse. Elijah was a human being. He was just like us. He was righteous, but he was human. And James's point, he's like he's pointing to Elijah and saying, listen, if, if God can hear his prayers and answer them, he, he can hear your prayers and answer your prayers. So we pray earnestly. We pray with all of our might. We pray fervently. And then the last type of prayer is in James 19 and 20. This is restorative prayer. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So this is a call to restorative prayer. Now, he's referencing someone who is a fellow follower of Jesus that has strayed, that has wandered off the path. You pray to bring them back to Christ. Every pray, prayer you pray for them is aimed at restoring them to, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's restorative prayer. Uh, we, we pray. I'm sure that some of you have, have, have done this where you know of somebody that has wandered away. 
someone that's wandered off of the path. They've, for whatever reason, they're no longer following Jesus. You, you pray for them. You, try to, you pray to receive them restored to Christ, to see them restored in their relationships. It's restorative prayer that can lead to restorative action. This is the fifth type of prayer. I'm always inspired by the story that I heard a pastor friend of mine share a few years ago how that there was a, a guy in his church that was married, <clears throat> but he had a side relationship. He was with another woman, and he was living with her. And there was a small group of, of guys that were his friends that were, were and, and this pastor friend of mine, that were, were consistently praying for him to be restored to his wife. After a number of months, um, they, they went to where he was living. Like, they literally went to his house and got his things packed up his bags and said, we're, we're taking you home to be, be restored to your wife, to your, to your spouse. This is an example of this idea of this, this type of prayer where it's restorative. It's restorative prayer and it's restorative action. We pray and sometimes we have to take action, to put our prayers into action, to do something with our prayers. Sometimes you are the answer to your prayers. And it is so incredible. That is just such an example of how that works, restored. So these are the five, five types of prayer that James ends this letter with. And so our takeaway for today, for the series, for this message, is simply to pray. Pray. We can talk about prayer. We can teach on prayer. But let's not miss the, the action of prayer. To be a people that, that pray. That it's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, the way that we live. We're constantly praying without ceasing. We're, prayer is our lives. Prayer is the work. We're always praying in good times and hard times. We are not self-sufficient. We're attuning our ears to heaven saying, God, we need you more than ever. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And in his, when he got his assignment, he was sailing to China. Back then, they didn't have airplanes, and he was on this big sailboat making his way, and they got to a place where it was completely calm. There was no wind to help the ship move along, and the captain came down to where Hudson Taylor was in his room, and he said, Hudson Taylor said to the captain, what can I do for you? He said, well, I would, I know you're a a God-fearing man. I would like you to pray. And Mr. Taylor, Hudson Taylor said, well, pray for what? He said, if you could pray that your God would send wind so that the, the, the boat can continue to go. There was an island close by, and the captain was concerned about a threat of cannibals that lived there. He said, if you could pray that, that, that God would create a wind that we could continue sailing, making our way to China. And I love what Hudson Taylor said. He said, I I will pray, but you have to set the sail. And the captain resisted. He said, well, that's foolish. There's no wind. The sailors are going to think I'm crazy. He said, you you set the sail, and I will pray that God would bring a wind. And so the captain agreed. He set the sail, and Hudson got down on his knees, and he started to pray. And pray that the God of heaven would send a wind. And within 45 minutes, there was a strong wind. And then the the ship 
The ship kept sailing along toward her destination. Captain came downstairs and said to Mr. Taylor, he said, you can stop praying now. We have all of the wind that we need. This is very much of what we do as followers of Jesus. We, we set the sail. Sometimes we take a step, we take an action, we pray a prayer before we see any movement. But in faith, we, we pray with faith. We believe, we pray with expectancy and with anticipation that God can move mountains. He can do the impossible. He can give you a breakthrough. He can do what you can't. He can do what we can't. He is God, I'm not, we are not. And so we, we pray with faith. We keep launching these prayers to heaven. You know, keep praying for that person, that family member. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your children. Keep praying for our churches. Keep praying for our community. Keep praying for the lost. I was just in Bolivia. Thousands. So many people that are without Christ. Pray for the lost. Pray for the, the people that are in our world that have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have a church. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a Christian witness. Let's keep praying. Let's be a people of prayer. And I'd like to pray for us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the call to prayer. That you hear our prayers. We're not self-sufficient. We need you more than ever. When times are going well and when there's hardship. Would you help us, God, to prioritize prayer. Forgive us for being so busy. And letting other things get in the way of our relationship with you. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, you're not praying, you feel far from God. Listen, today's the day. The Bible says just to admit that you need help. Admit that you have brokenness in your life. And to repent and to put your faith in the all-sufficient work of Jesus, the gospel. And when you do that, God will save you. He will seal you the power of his Holy Spirit and help you live a life that is pleasing to him. If you've made that commitment, we'd love to help you take your next step in being mentored, getting into a small group, beginning to serve in some kind of a ministry. God, thank you. Thank you for promising to never leave us or forsake us. Help us to continue to orient ourselves through prayer to a life that matters, a faith that takes action, that the gospel would produce fruit in us that would prove that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this incredible letter. Now help us to live it out, I pray in Jesus' name.